This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it, man. I know it, I know. Let's get to some news that occurred uh, la- late last night, kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, late last night, Shane Sigsby puts up a tweet, and he is saying that a person he knows, John Martellini. Mar- Martinelli. Yeah, Martinelli. Sorry, that's definitely not Dominican. Um, and he put up a couple bets in a group chat that is VIG free. And he put 500K worth of bets in there. And he was effectively free rolling the spot. He bet uh, against the national champion, now Alabama. And he bet on Ohio State and free rolled everyone. So he bet one to two uh, Bitcoins with each person and said, let's do it. When Alabama won, he posted, I can't pay. And I was free rolling. The reason he gave for this was that his brother had mounting legal cost and he effectively said like bro i choose my brother over the reputation that i have what's a little bit sad and as you see this is his brother uh and he had a couple charges he had one that came up monday he also had a different one uh so so there were it's three, been a while there, there were actually three charges of uh domestic violence domestic abuse and it wasn't specified in the article whether or not that was against the child who was who passed away at eight months uh, or if it was against his girlfriend demonstrated there in the photo. Um, the first two were uncorroborated, but I guess there was another one. I think it was January, January 30th of last year that uh, was seemingly um, sticking. Uh, and now as of September, it appears they're both up on charges for some degree of murder uh, of this child. Uh, I don't know if it's negligence, uh, which I think would fall under like third degree if I'm not mistaken, um, or if it falls under one of the other realms. But yeah, it seems like it's a pretty tragic case. Uh, I thought I read somewhere that fentanyl was related in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure. I tried to find uh, a secondary source, but came up short. Um, But yeah, I mean, it appears, at least from what I had read, that that drugs may have been involved. I'm not really entirely certain. I don't want to speculate on that front. Um, but yeah, it's just tragic, man. You know, it's like people make really fucking bad decisions and, uh, you know, I can speak firsthandedly. It's like you're, you're dealt your family, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like playing the hand you're dealt in poker. You don't get to pick and choose. So, um, well, in poker, you could just wait, right? Yeah. You get the option to fold, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and, and to be fair, you get the option to walk away from family too. But I think that there's a certain virtue that is instilled upon us at a young age where it's. And you know this better than anybody. I don't know anyone who's more loyal than than Christian Soto. Um, there is a certain level of loyalty to like your blood relatives, to the people that you grew up with. You know, if if this were say his best friend yeah, from I mean, kindergarten. This is the thing. Like, it's one of those spots where I don't want to be, and I would hope to never be. I, I think also like this is the problem that I think um, is a little bit concerning to me. Is that I think that, you know, he's a high stakes reg that knows a lot of people. He probably could have asked for a favor, you know? Yeah, um, I think that's true. And, you know, it's like he, he, he could have asked for a favor for like one of one of the people he knows. And it's like he has to know people with a lot of, you know, a lot of liquid funds. Like, I mean, to like be in to playing. be in that chat, you're pretty well networked. I, I'm very familiar with the chat. It's every single big name that you can imagine. Um, and, you know, the average net worth is like pushing seven figures there for sure. So it's not like as if 
there are some shit reg 510 players in there who don't have a pint to piss in. Like most of the bets are coming in at one Bitcoin plus. Um, and, you know, it's it's a serious chat where I think that they do a pretty good job of policing like bad actors and stuff like that. Um, I have a few thoughts. Uh, I guess my first most concerning one is separating good and bad versus loyalty to family. Uh, I totally understand him wanting to go to bat for his brother and doing all that he can to keep him uh, safe and well. But we're also talking about his nephew or, or niece uh, having been murdered. And, yeah, you know, great. those charges are, are being pinned against your brother. So it's like somewhere along the line, you kind of have to make a moral call too, of like, when do you cut, when do you cut the line? And I don't, I'm not qualified to make that call. I'm not qualified to sit here and judge and say like, this guy did something so egregious that there's no way you should attempt to help him or anything along those lines. Um, I just know that like, you're right. He had a big network. He probably could have leaned on him in a different way from theft. And uh, on top of that, a, a secondary thing that confuses me is uh, if you're planning on free rolling someone, why not give yourself the most sure path possible that, to never getting caught? And the way to do that is to bet a heavy favorite, right? Like you can lay worse price than, than the market if you want, because yeah. you don't care about that. All you're trying to do is get enough money down. And maybe like not enough people wanted Ohio State. So it was a problem right. in that regard. Um, but you know, th this didn't have to happen exactly over the national championship. We have the NFL playoffs coming up. We, there's a bunch of things like you can get money down on KC next week or, or whatever the case may be. I'm sure that like his brother's eminent doom or, or, uh, freedom is not a six day window. So I guess like, if you're going to do it, like fucking do it right, man, <laughs> like get a million down on a massive fucking favorite where you're 90% to have nobody ever know that you're free rolling them to begin with. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, we've had this discussion before, right? It's like, we've joked around. I remember, uh, it was like me, you and Landon, right? We were like, Hey, like, you know, we're pretty well known. Like how much you think, like, if we really wanted to scum people, like how much you think we could get, you know, before we got caught. And it's like, I think you get a million before you get caught, you know, like yeah. easy, easy. And it's not like we would never do that. And like part of part of the reason we get good spots is because people don't think we would do that. The, you know the reason I mean? why you could get a million is because you'll never do it. Right. 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 The reason you get a million is because you'll never do it. And most people think that you really would never do it. Right. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's uh, you earned that reputation. But like everything I know about this dude, like. Seems to be high. I don't know him well, you know. Mm. I know him through like playing in games with him or like seeing him in the mix, you know. Sure. Uh, but I've never played it. Like I've never like I just know his network. Mm -hmm. So that to me already says like okay, like by affiliation, if these people trust you, you're probably pretty well trusted, and also you could raise a lot of money, you know. Yeah. So I don't know, man. It's just like a really bad spot. Um, I'm not sure what happens now with him. You know, it's like uh, these things seem to be forgiven in poker. Right. Uh, I agree with you that there's a path to forgiveness here. Um, I think that, you know, the the poker community can have a pretty short memory if you attempt to make good. I don't know that he's going to be able to come up with 500,000 ever, um, especially now that his rep is totally trashed. I, I, don't, I don't know what his financial situation is, whether he can back himself or not or... Uh, what the case may be to play, I, I'm of the understanding, though, that he had access to like pretty big games. I don't think I've ever played with him, but um, I do think that he was floating around in that circle. Um, you know, if he plans to make good, if there's a path for him paying off the 500K, yeah, I, I mean, people forget. People forget pretty quickly. Um, but if this is something that's going to prevent him from earning moving forward, 
uh, it may just be like the last you hear of him. Well, that's unfortunate. I have asked people like, yo, if I robbed the bank, like you would you tell on me? I've asked this <laughs> question to a lot of people. And Berkey's the only person in my close circle that says like, yeah, I would tell on you. I never like, said I would tell on you. I, I said I didn't I, want the burden of knowing that you robbed the bank. You can't you can't ask for the burden. You can't not ask for the burden. Either you ride or you don't ride. No, I can like, definitely I can definitely you ask mean, for like, you not you just, to tell me you about you fucked up things that you do. That's not how it works. That is how it works. Do you need my help? That's not, if you don't need maybe, my help, keep it to yourself. Don't tell again. Don't tell me not to tell you though. You're my friend. I'm gonna tell you. Like it, this is I've watched works, en- I've watched enough CSI to know that that is definitely not a situation that bodes well for me. It doesn't end well. It doesn't matter. Listen, this is how it works, right? They shake me down, well, man. What, they what put me in that padded me, room with telling... one light shining in my face. So you're a snitch. <laughs> if you put me in a prisoner's <laughs> dilemma, do you know what equi- equilibrium says to do? Listen, bro. Rat you your ass die. out. You just No, you just die with the secret, bro. There's no way. If you tell me like, yo, Chin, I killed somebody, I'm going to be like, all right, where's the body? Where are we putting it? Fuck like, you. It. First of all, like, that's terrible. Like, oh, don't tell me that you put... I'm that's terrible like, scheming. Where, where, if you kill someone and you desert? want to get away with it, you don't tell a soul. I don't care who, how well you trust somebody, man. You can't have these that's, loose ends. Yeah, but you have. But you need to clean. What are you going to do? I get a you mop and bucket, man. You have all this blood. You have no idea. You need help cleaning. You need help burying. This thing needs to be done quick. You don't have like all day. It's got to be done. It's got to be done now. So you need to tell somebody. Who are you going to tell? You're going to tell me because you know I ain't telling a soul. You know I'm riding. And that's it. You ain't going to tell some other person. They'll be like, yo, if you kill somebody, don't tell me. I'm not going to tell. They, see, this they is, might put a light on me. They nah, might this, put a little this, light this on me. This is the difference between me and you, man. I wouldn't tell you. I would ask you if you knew anybody that could clean up a scenario. And you know why, right? Because you know I know someone because they know I'm not telling. Like That's just how it works. You know oh, I know man. someone because you know I'm not this telling. This is the worst that's hypothetical I've ever run down in my entire life. I'm just saying that I've literally, every single person in my phone that I consider a close friend, I've asked mm-hmm. the same fucking question. Every time I'm like, yo, this is my go-to question and that's it. Mm-hmm. Just letting you know, you need to get a go-to question. You better get a go-to question. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> Some shit fell on my fucking desk yesterday. And it was like 2010. It was Matt Berkey a pro. And I was like, yo, like I was watching TV back then. Like I thought Berkey was a pro, young guy. I got paid a lot to wear that full tilt shit. They just put 30K in my account. They just just wired it. No, in my full tilt account. Like next day, $30,000 in your full tilt account. That's nice. We're in a big fat fucking patch on my hat. I missed those. I missed all those. Like uh, it was a I, zoo, I wasn't man. It was a zoo. Like you made day four of the main event, and uh, there were just like reps everywhere. Stars, full tilt, ultimate bet, whatever. They're just like lining the halls of WSOP. They're like, uh, "You look young. Are you still in?" It's like, "Yeah." Uh, okay, how many chips do you have? It's like top twenty. Boom, thirty thousand dollars if you get on a feature table. Done. What am I gonna say? No, it's free money. Wow, how much have you win? It must have been something crazy. Full Tilt did like uh Stars was always the better deal, but Full Tilt did like uh, a tiered payout. So like you were guaranteed I think you were guaranteed like two hundred K if you made the final table and then you got like hundred K increments for every place that you finished up to first where you would get like a million dollars. And they would sign you as like a red pro. Okay. I mean, it's pretty fucking nice. It's so okay, but like get- you were, you were able to just like cash out right away, like it was yeah, easy, but like... but you know think about it in terms of like guys like Moneymaker, um, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Raymer and those others who won for stars. Uh, so like if you win it and you're wearing the full tilt patch, you're just auto a red pro. Like you don't have the option to right. shop yourself to the other sites. Oh, I see. Yes, yes, and like yes, those yes, guys yes, definitely yes. got bigger deals than a million dollars. Like they collect or cumulatively won or made more than a million dollars. Okay. That makes um, sense. But you Anyways. know, I was 20, what, fucking 2010. Bro, you're not was, turning down 30K. Like there's no fucking way at 20 something years I'm 28 old. 28 years old. Like, like they're handing me free money. I'm only cashing at this point for like 30K. Yeah, no, for sure. Just wear the fucking money. I mean, I'll. Nobody wins the main event anyway. Not in your head. Yeah. You know? Nobody wins. Oh, Nobody yeah. actually if you win wins. the main event, you're just like, okay, well, thank you very much. Yeah. $8 million. So crazy, man. Uh, I'm good friends with Phil Collins, and he final tabled, I think, the following year in 2011. Greggy year was 2012, correct? I believe so. Yeah. Is this the one where he got a patch of Bellagio or something? Yeah. So it was uh, him and Benba made the final table. So maybe it was 2013. Uh, I think it was the one where P.S. Hines won. Um so yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it was 2013. Uh, and by that point, there were obviously no reps because Black Friday mm. had happened. So like mm. he, he literally got $10,000 in like comp dollars to Bellagio. That was it. Yeah, it's crazy how, how things change fast, right? What a difference, I mean, man. To, but I think, think, I think things are a little bit coming back, bro. Like, sl like slowly but surely, like I'm seeing more things being sponsored on Poker Go. Yeah. I'm seeing people wearing patches of like, you I don't know, know how much some, they're getting paid, though, if at all. Who knows? Who knows? But I'm just saying things are coming back. I'm yeah, not yeah. saying, like, oh, it's 100% it's back. But, like, as things, like, as legislation comes through America, like, I think things are going to be slowly coming back. Matt Berkey is Never obviously know, a, a common topic as Philly fans on this podcast. Yes. Uh, true. He, he plays interesting uh, poker. He makes decisions that we find often questionable. Yes. Anyway, and a lot of the time so we're trying to, to discern whether or not his plays are actually with great foresight and thought behind them, or if maybe he's just clicking buttons a little bit and making some mistakes that are very clear mistakes, right? Yep. And... This hand plays out in, in a certain way, and it's a, a way where in 2010, if I saw this hand, I clearly wouldn't have known who Matt Berkey was in 2010. I'd just be like, oh, that's too bad for that amateur that he lost that way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, it's against Jonathan Duhamel, so right. no big spoilers here. Right. But Matt Berkey is still doing these things, and what he does in this hand is not necessarily professional level, I think. All right, so... This is the poker guys, and they released another episode of your your hands. And honestly, bro, this might be like the freaking twentieth episode I've seen of Matt Berkey uh, hand histories from the poker guys, right? And I don't know what what are your thoughts on 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 the amount of hand histories that they've done about you? <laughs> um, I I mean it's whatever, man. I, I, honestly, like I don't care that much. Uh, except that you and I were kind of talking about this off air, uh, yesterday and a little bit today. Um, our community is a little bit strange. We don't have media. So, uh, we're effectively a community of influencers and whether you've garnered that influence through building a social media platform or building a podcast platform or, uh, just being a, uh, professional who's risen through the ranks and has garnered attention that way, ultimately, we dictate what people should care about, right? So we put a lot of the messaging out there. And whether we're talking about the poker guys or other pundits um, who kind of just operate strictly off of opinion-based responses, they're kind of like taking the place of like a Skip Bayless. Uh, yeah. And my whole thing is like, I don't care. Be, be as fucking critical as you want. Like I misplay hands all the time. Um, but do so with like due diligence. Um, I guess the stuff that like rubs me the wrong way is the lack of preparation. I could never imagine putting myself in a situation where, uh, at least not in 2021, where we have so many infinite resources available and the average like poker IQ 
of viewers and listeners and watchers and followers and things like that is through the roof by comparison to 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, I couldn't imagine putting out just like my sheer opinion without having like double checked it against what strategically is sound. Okay. So what I found interesting was the fact that they didn't know if you were a pro. Yeah. And I thought that was like pretty easy to find out. Like it's like, okay, did Berkey play online? That's that's probably the easiest way to find out, right? It's like, okay, he has a full tilt patch on. Did did Berkey play online? Mm. And it's like even me just like skimming through two plus two was like pretty easy to figure out that you were a pro. Like people were like, oh, why is Berkey limping? Like mm-hmm. it's like, okay, uh, you know, you were clearly playing a lot uh, at that time, uh, some online, some live. But I think it's like documented that you were a pro. So it was like when they said like, oh, we don't know if he's an amateur or a pro. It's like, well that didn't take long for me to find, you know, like it was, it was a pretty easy one and I didn't even know you back then. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I had just so chopped was... the, the Sunday major on full tilt, like three or four months ago also for like 110,000, uh, which was on the back end of like a 300 K upswing online. Um, these numbers don't mean that much, like whatever. I only have a million in online earnings, uh, pre black Friday, but that was relevant considering that like, you know, a lot of us started in college and we had the slow road and I was a live guy. So I didn't put in a ton of volume. I think that million in earnings was over like maybe a thousand games played. Um, so like, you know, it was a relatively low sample, but also a ridiculous ROI. And secondarily, they were kind of treating DeHamo like he was a celebrity back then. He was as much of a, if you want to call me a no name at that point, so was he, right? It's just like, we know him for what he's done since. Um, same thing if you want to look at like other guys who final tabled this main event, like Joey Chong and, uh, Reisner. Like I knew who those guys were because I ran around in similar circles. We played a lot of cash. We played a lot of tournaments together, but the, the collective world at whole or at large definitely didn't know most of that final table. They knew Aflac because he made back-to-back deep runs and that garnered enough attention for everybody to look up Matt Aflac online and realize that he was just absolutely crushing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of a kind of like a lack of, of due diligence there in terms of like looking people up anyway. So let's get through this hand history because it's kind of an interesting one. Uh, so this is the 2020 main event. Uh, sorry. Main event. Uh, 40 people left. 2010. Right? 30, yeah. 40, 43. 2010. Yeah. 40, 40 people left. 43 left. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Duham was going to open the hijack for 2.5 X off 50 big blinds. Mm-hmm. He has pocket eights. Right. You have 10 six of diamonds in the big blind, and you call. Mm-hmm. So these are the Monka ranges of Berkey's uh, big blind defense range. Uh, as you can see, 10 six is a pure call. There are some hands here that I think potentially you might play a little bit passively uh, at the time, but I do think that you're sure. obviously defending all these hands. If anything, I think you're you're you are one of the people that were defending hands. At t- in 2010 more than people were right so like the fad of oh you have to defend your big blind because you're getting a good price came later than uh than 2010 i believe yeah i certainly wouldn't have been constructed completely like this um you know i would have folded some of these weaker low combos and i probably would have called a lot of the ace four ace three ace two um and to your point i probably wouldn't have done a whole lot of three betting with like eights nines ten nine suited just because you know it's 43 left in the main event and 50 blinds is a really big stack at that point, I think average was probably like 35 or 40. Um, the, the, the nature of the beast back then was to play passively. Take flops, hit bingo, win big pots with big hands. So pretty standard, I think, so far, right? Now we're going to see a flop. 
The flop's going to come six of hearts, six of spades, three of diamonds. Pot is 1.4 million. Jonathan's going to choose. Sorry, you're going to check, which is completely standard. You're not going to mm-hmm. have any leads on this board. Right. Uh, Jonathan's going to choose to check. Fi- sorry, Jonathan's going to choose to bet 50%. And that's not really something that we would choose today, right? So right. today you're going to see that the preferred size, if betting, is going to be 25% pot. But more interestingly, he's checking 60% of his range. And because there's such uh, a mixture of hands that are being both bet and check, and the checking frequency is the dominant uh, action, every single hand in his range is going to choose both a bet and a check. And when the bet does come through, it's going to be 25% size. Now, I do, I think we do have to acknowledge that two things were happening in 2010. One, the checking frequency wasn't this high. Uh, people were like overseas betting for you know too many too many hands you know the frequency of c betting was like way too high in 2010 c betting was just like printing mm-hmm. and that was a function of, of multiple things people weren't floating enough etc cetera, etc cetera. uh and also the c bet base uh c bet base was m- mostly 50 percent yeah so but i think it's important to acknowledge what the equilibrium strategy would look like in a more modern time right agreed okay so now you're going to choose to check raise uh, to 2.5x with 10 six of diamonds. So remember, the, the board is six six three, and you're going to choose to check raise uh, to 625,000. I do like the check raise size. I think you could probably even like a modern time, maybe even go slightly smaller. But I do like this size, uh, and I think that's cool. Uh, I think that also, uh, in terms of your check raise, you're going to probably be doing more uh, check raising than check calling. But we'll get to that as well. But you go, you choose the 2.5x and Duhamel calls. We see the turn, eight of diamonds, and you're going to choose to check, which is a pretty interesting right. line. And also, like, Duhamel uh, might be folding the turn the if Berkey bets you. We don't know. Maybe, maybe. Because Berkey checks. Not a yeah. So let's discuss. Mm-hmm. Okay. Discuss who like that, Jonathan Levy. That because Berkey checks that he's checking the check opinion. race. Yeah, it seems. And I, you know what? I don't hate it. No, um, me either. You think that if Duhamel had an overpair, which is his most likely holding at this point, it seems. Yeah. He's an overpair, right? He doesn't have that many four fives. He doesn't have too many ace highs. He's probably just folding ace high, right? I mean, he has four five suited, but there's only four combos yeah. of that. And that's, yeah, besides that, I think it's just overpairs almost always. So even if it is four five, four five and overpairs are actually, I think, hands that are good to have this plan against. Four five, Duhamel's betting for sure if we check, right? I think he has. So we get to shout out that equity. That is great by moving in. Um, and if he calls, it's just going to be a bad call and we get like the, the better end of that situation oh, yeah, anyway. We're fine with that. Um, if he has an overpair, Duhamel's probably going to bet because he's going to be like, oh, he slowed down. Maybe he has a draw. I need to protect against that. Or maybe he has like a three I should try to get value from or something like that. Yeah, I think it's fine. And I can also even understand from his point of view of like, it's okay to win the pot right now. Like get another bet out of him and just win the pot. You know, showdowns do kill, and it's the main event. Like, not that you're you obviously you want to call if you shove and he doesn't insta call, which in this case he, he would. would. That's you don't want to call in this case, but what are you going to do? But of course you want to call against kings, but like can't be that bad to just like move in. You know, once 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 he bets. So I don't hate this at all. Is what I'm saying. I support this decision, even though I my inclination would be to bet. Yeah, I, I get it. Okay, so there's a couple of things I think we need to address uh, once we land here. Uh, and the first thing is that they seem to be agreeing with a lot of the things you're saying. They seem to like say, okay, like I do like the check raise. Uh, I do think that we want to check raise check sometimes. Uh, and I think that that's where I'm a little bit confused of where where the tonality of this uh, show is going, right? Because they seem to be agreeing with a lot of the things you're saying, but at the same vein, they're saying that maybe you're not a pro. Uh, okay, there's a couple other things I think that were a little bit interesting, and it seems to me that some of the homework wasn't really done. 
Uh, so one of the hands that they mention here is that five four mm-hmm. uh, is a mandatory bet right. or for for the in position player after the check raise. Right. And I would say that if you know potentially if they if they did the homework and pulled the solves up, I think they would find that five four suited is not going to be one of the high frequency bets, and that's because. That is a hand that has too much equity to get blown off. When you do have check raise uh, some hands, you're going to have a pretty polarized range. And if and if they bet a hand with that much equity, you could respond with a check raise, check raise, and then they have to blow off that entire equity of an open and a straight draw. So I think some of the homework there wasn't done, which is a little bit unfortunate. Uh, and the fact that they do start agreeing with some of your lines uh, is a little bit, you know, I just don't understand the tone of the show right now. Uh, okay. Yeah, I would I would now, have thought that their biggest gripe with the hand was the check raise check, but that's that's actually not the case. Um, and you know, just to catch everybody up to the strategy thus far, uh, you know, I ran this as I mentioned. I ran it first for equilibrium, and it didn't really tell us much because Jonathan just never chooses that size, um, and so like the 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 response was a little bit wonky. But we ran it again. Um, and here you're going to see like some of the parameters I used. It's a little bit more in line with 2010. So uh, gave Jonathan a size of 50% or 75%, which much more in line with what we saw CBET strategies to be back then. Um, my raise size was 2.5x or 5x. Again, a lot more in line with what we saw with check raising, though, to be fair, in 2010, check raising, not super popular, right? A lot of check calling. Uh, most of the fast playing was only done with strong hands. Imbalances obviously occurred at a pretty pretty high rate, which is why people could still get away with C-betting most of their range for a half pot. Um, given those flop parameters, I gave myself a turn bet size of half, three quarters, or all in. That's what the 300% represents. And I restricted myself to only check shoving or check calling once I elected to check. Uh, Jonathan, again, has standard sizes of 50 or 80. And on the river, he has sizes of 50, 80, or all in. Uh, I, again, have sizes of 50, 80, or check shoving. Um, oh, sorry, I also added all in, so I could open shove river. Um, when we check out the flop strategy of how this all plays out, uh, what you'll see is that, again, Jonathan's not betting very often. So when we restrict him to the larger size of half pot, his range actually shifts from 60% check to actually 91% check. But again, you'll see that uh, there are a lot of hands that mix in low frequency bets. Pocket aids being one of them, it wants to bet for protection's sake. So you'll see most of the overpairs try to press their equity at some frequency. His exact combo actually chooses half pot size about 37% of the time. So very reasonable, no EV lost whenever he does choose to bet these. Anytime that we see uh, both white and green for a candidate, it means it mixes between betting and checking. There's no EV difference between the two. Um, the reason why we selectively mix is so that all the hands that choose to bet, uh, interact with each other in a certain way so that there's no EV loss and all the hands that choose to check protect each other in a certain way so that there's no EV loss that way. Then looking at my response, because he's supposed to check back at such a high frequency and we have such a six X advantage, he only has a six King six. Um, and then the connectors seven, six, 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 eight, six, uh, because of that, we are supposed to check raise at a pretty high frequency. You see, it's actually the action we take the most outside of folding. Uh, we're check raising about two, oh, just a little shy of 2x how often we call. And we do have a fair amount of pure check raises. So king six, queen six, jack six, 10 six, uh, seven six, quads, six five, all these hands are check raising pure. 
Uh, we do have the offsuit combos too. So that gives us a whole lot more combinations of 6X. Uh, and then we do a lot of protection check raising with 3X, which albeit in 2010, I probably wasn't choosing to do, but I was at least at a point where I was choosing to check raise like gut shots and hands that wrapped around, uh, gut shots, open enders and hands that wrapped around the, the six itself. So you, it wouldn't be that shocking to see me check raise a hand like five, seven, seven, eight, five, four, um, hands that had reasonable playability, similar to what you would see in a check raising frequency nowadays. Uh, with that said, obviously Jonathan's response is to pure call. And then we land ourselves on the turn. Once we do get to the turn, the eight of diamonds is kind of interesting. Um, in the sense that a lot of my check raising range has now increased showdown value. So a lot of my eight X has kind of improved. Um, my sevens have kind of gotten worse had I chosen to check raise those. Uh, so essentially what I recognized is that we're gonna to have to protect our checking range because we're gonna be doing a lot of it after check raising flop. And as you can see, uh, the vast majority of my range does check. 70% of the time, we're actually gonna implement a check. Our only pure bet, as far as I can see, is quad sixes. Uh, so that means we're operating on mixed frequencies. There's no EV lost anytime we choose to check. So had we chosen to just check the entirety of our range, there's no EV loss here. Uh, it just makes this counter strategy maybe slightly simpler to employ against us. But my specific combination does check a third of the time, as you can see highlighted in red to the right. Uh, 10 six of clubs actually is a little bit more aggressive. And that's just basically due to the fact that I turned the back door. Looking at Jonathan's response, uh, eight is of course a pure check back or uh, sorry, a near ch pure check back. He's basically evenly mixing between checking and betting. Um, but what I think is most notable here, and granted, he very rarely has this hand, but the times he does have 5-4, it never bets, as Christian kind of mentioned. Also, 4-4-5-5, four, four, five, five, also don't bet. Uh, most of his bets are coming for straight value or protection. So you're seeing hands like nines, tens, jacks, queens, betting somewhere between value and protection, depending on how strong they are as overpairs. Uh, you're seeing some of his floats that may have turned a backdoor, uh, ace-jack of diamonds, will be putting in a bet. And then we see a lot of value from his 6x region. So a6, king6, pure bets, uh, 8, 6, 7, 6, and 6, 5 mix. Uh, they're going to be the ones he uses to protect and check back a lot. Um, but what you'll also notice is that the vast majority of his diamond combinations, so when he floats hands like um, the suited broadways, he'll be mixing in the checkbacks with diamonds for the same reason he's mixing in checkbacks with 5, 4. It's just too much equity to get blown off of. Okay. So now we're going to get to the river. Uh, the river is going to come the deuce of clubs. So now the board reads six, six, three, eight with a backdoor flush draw, deuce of clubs. Mm -hmm. And you're going to go with a 75% pot size, which is a little bit uncommon, but I think probably at the time acceptable. Uh, and I think most options would be like either 50 or all in now, but I think it's whatever. And now Duhamel chooses to shove, mm. which is crazy because you have this guy from Europe with a hoodie staring you down and just says, I'm all in with a poker stars net uh, patch while you have the full tilt patch on. All the eyes are on you, the camera. You know, I see like you know, the, the audience in the back. Tough spot. And I think we have to, you know, see what people think about this spot. Yeah. This is a real problem. We need him to have nine, six and massively overvalue it. That's like, or, or we need him to be bluffing. 
He's turning an overpair into a bluff. That's the only other thing. Did people do that in 2010? He's turning pocket fives or pocket fours yes. into a bluff. Yes, pocket fives or pocket fours. That, that, now, I don't know if they did that in 2010 either, but that's, that would be the play, right? Yeah, I mean, pocket fives and pocket fours probably can't call, right? So it's either no, shove right. or fold. Those, right. are, those are the best bluffing hands. Those are great bluffing hands. Yeah. Um, to put Duhamel on being capable of turning fours or fives into a bluff and then pulling the trigger against us on day seven of the main event. When the deuce comes. And like, I know we have trips, but I think this is Berkey this calls is pretty quickly. This feels like a pretty big mistake. That's what I was referring to at the beginning of the podcast yeah. when I was saying, like, I can see why you would go, go broke here, like most players. But if you're really like an elite pro, like Berkey seems to think he is, and a lot of people do think he is too. He has all for why and all that stuff. Christian Soto respects his game. That means a lot, right? Um, but, and to be fair, this is 10 years ago. Yeah, it's 10 years ago. But this is a fold, right? It's a fold. I think it's definitely a fold. I would, look, Berkey disagrees on a lot of things, clearly, that, that we think. I'd be really surprised if he didn't think this was a fold today. Yeah. And if I even think about it, if anything, he's adjusted the other way, where he's fair to call him out as, like, you know, he's supposedly this pro, you know, because it's yeah. 10 years ago, man. No, like, everything was different. I wasn't calling him out like that. I was, it was more in reference to our ongoing discussion about, like, if Berkey's actually ahead of the curve or not. Right. And, like, I, I just don't think this hand is a good way, okay. it's a good piece of evidence either way, because it's just too long ago. That's my thought. I suppose, yeah, it is too long ago, but, and I, I would hope that today Berkey would find a fold yeah. easily. I mean, I would be really surprised if he didn't say, I sucked in 2010. Well, These days, this might be more of a call because yes. we block full houses and our opponents are way more capable of turning fours and fives into a bluff. A guy like Duhamel, yeah. you may really have to call. Yeah, but, but you have to know that it's Duhamel. Duhamel's not European, he's Canadian. So I forgot about that. <laughs> he's French like, descent, it's okay. Yeah, whatever, he's like French-Canadian, bro. You're like halfway across the fucking ocean at that point. No, you know? you're not. Um, okay, there's a couple other things, right? And again... You know, it's one of these things where it's like, okay, if I was coming at, if I was like coming at Phil Ivy, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not coming at, I'm not coming. First of all, I'm not disrespecting Phil Ivy, but if I, but if, but if one day, you know, like I got a little bit hyped and I was like disrespecting Phil Ivy, you know, I would be like, hey, or you know, better example, like Doug Polk, right? Like people think I have beef with Doug Polk, right? Like if I was saying like, yo, Doug, I think, uh, I think you played this hand like shit, I would do my homework, right? So again, I think we land on the river where they're saying fours and fives are like the bluffs yeah and it's pretty clear like on the solver output the fives and fours never bluff they sometimes call which they, they said never they never bluff. call right fives and fours could never they said fives and fours can never call they they could only bluff these are these are the automatic bluffs and I, that's just that's just false right right so the bluffs are not being derived from fives and fours some bluffs are being derived from ace deuce Right, which is a rivered. Effectively, you're using the rivered house, right? Like you're you're blocking the rivered house, right? Uh, and you're and you're stealing some bluffs from there. You're stealing some bluffs from hands like queen jack suited, right? That bricked off uh, in terms of like unblocking diamonds, right? Uh, we're going to be stealing from there now. So it's a little bit of 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 me not really like I don't understand where 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 they're. It's, it's, they just didn't run it, right? It's just that's kind of what well, it is. They're yeah, I mean, to be fair, we are talking about a hand in 2010, um, so they're they're somewhat right, right? Like this hand in practice in 2010, it should be played extremely exploitably. Uh, I do think that it's fairly reasonable to arrive at a fold once once I choose to bet. Um, so like if we take a look at like what the actual equilibrium solve says, I'm just supposed to be ripping, right? I'm just supposed to be value shoving here. I'm supposed to be value shoving relatively wide, uh, all my six X, all my five, four, um, you know, all my full houses, they, they just all like open rip. I'm not really doing too much betting. So, uh, when I do choose a bet size and for what it's worth, uh, actually 10, six of clubs, if I get there this way chooses the size that I chose, but it's just because it unblocks him having diamonds to then bluff with. Um, right, you're trying to you're trying to induce. Right, but we're getting. We're, this is all much to do about nothing because, obviously, in 2010, solvers weren't a thing yet. And none of us were thinking this way. We all built from value out, 
and we worked in bluffs as we kind of landed on them, right? So yeah, fives and fours, terrible bluffing candidates as a whole, but I could, I guess, see a, no, I, I, I don't see where anybody bluffs with those in 2010. Um, I think it would be more like, and I know this is wild to kind of say, but like the ace kings just like randomly find a way to be all in on river because they don't know what the fuck else to do, right? Like, do you remember, do you remember like pre Black Friday, pre solvers where people just wowed out with like hands that they thought were really good at one point in, in time? And then like just like, a, like a seven offsuit. Mm, yeah. I mean, referencing Joey Chong from the same main <laughs> event, I guess. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like things get like a seven off was like the first demonstration of uh, misunderstanding blockers, right? Like, Oh, I have an ACE, therefore removal. Therefore he can't have good hands. Like, uh, let's just play an ICM suicide. This, is, this is the thing though. This is the thing though. Like we, um, they are saying fours and fives are the best hands today. I know. I know. They, they, I know. So, right. But they're not. Right. No, of course they're not. Um, and that's just, again, like, I think that they're, I think they think they're more well-versed than they are in theory, perhaps. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, the vast majority of his shoving range on the end is going to be a spectrum of value. So he gets thin with like some ace, eight, uh, sorry, ace eight. Uh, he gets thin with tens with jacks. Um, Cause I guess conceivably I can have worse. Uh, I don't necessarily think that these are good. And also this isn't squared for proportion. So like those hands don't really land here on the river much at all. Um, you can see it's only 1.6 combos that he's actually shoving. Uh, so, you know, really basically what we're saying is that we just don't get here through this line very often. Um, you know, kind of due to the fact that he's betting a fair portion of those hands on the turn. Um, mm -hmm. the overpairs and stuff for protection's sake. So, you know, it kind of is what some it of them, is. Some of them also check back the flop. So it's like a, a multitude that, of That's really of the action. big thing. Him betting yeah. the flop is what reduces this now to like uh, a one percenter type mm -hmm. of line work. I also ran this locking him for uh, uh, a mandatory C-bet. Um, we didn't display that solve because I, I thought it would take up too much time. But if we force him to bet flop, which now doesn't allow us to say like, this is a one percent line that never happens kind of thing. Um, if we force him to bet flop, my response is actually to check raise almost 50% of my hands. And then I'm checking yeah. on the turn again, like 70 to 80%. So my hand actually almost pure check raise checks. Uh, mm -hmm. And we land on river and he starts pulling bluffs from all kinds of places. A lot of his 8x uh, seemingly is either going for bluff or value. It's it's really difficult to, to tell the way it's kind of like all merging together. But he does a lot of bluffing with like broadways that call the, the check raise on the flop. And then land on river and unblock diamonds. Um, so it kind of goes for it with like queen 10 of spades, queen 10 of club, those type of holdings. Trying to, I assume, get me off of like ace highs, 3x, uh, 8x perhaps, um, and moving on down the line. The whole point of, of talking about this though is I think that if you want to come from a, a standpoint of criticism, whether it's opinion-based or not, I think you have to have a fundamental metric by which you're measuring things by. That's really what we were just trying to demonstrate, I think, by by running this and showing what the equilibrium is. I think if we node lock for like what was actually taking place, so where we do force the C-bet out of Jonathan and we reduce my check raising range, because I'm obviously not check raising 50%, uh, say we reduce it to like 12%. Now I think that you will see a lot of like wonky things happening that arrive us at rivers in spots where like bluffs are available but nobody pulled those triggers right mm. like if we if we locked all that 
I'm probably supposed to be betting the river a lot more than shoving. And he's, he's probably supposed to start reaching for shoves uh, with other hands. I still don't think fives and fours will be used. But like, you know, like I said, the broadways and stuff like that. Um, but it just wasn't happening in 2010, right? So if we just continually to lock, if we continually no lock it down to where it's just a purely exploitative strategy, I think what you're going to find is that like, yeah, I probably should just ultimately arrive at a fold because he might not even be shoving 5-4 there. Uh, he might not be shoving worse 6x, whereas in the solve, he's shoving all of his 6x, which means we dominate 6-5, six, 7-6, seven, six, um, 9 six if he has it. I don't think I don't think we gave it to him, but, you know, whatever. Mm. And then yeah, he, but you also probably, it's probably all of nothing, right? Because you should just be shoving all in and getting yeah, called. Also but true. Like if, he's not, if he's not shoving through with 6-7, then you have to get max value and shove your yeah. hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just that simple. The, the point I'm just trying to make is that uh, it's unfair for them to examine it strictly through an exploitative node without ever examining it through what theory looks like and then mm -hmm. double back and say, well, according to theory, he should be doing this, 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 and this. Because it doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't make any sense to say, in theory, we should be grabbing this selection of hands and utilizing them as bluffs, but it was 2010 and nobody played according to theory anyway. So uh, based on that knowledge, like this should be folded, this should be folded, this should be folded, whatever. The reason this hand is strange to me is because if, uh, again, if you're going to pluck a hand out of the last 10 years that has aged okay, I feel like this one's probably aged fine. Maybe the call-off isn't great, but uh, I, I don't really think there's a whole lot of exploitation taking place here. <sighs> Man, all right. I mean, so I think that, you know, we, we're in an era where a lot of people have the microphone. Mm. And I think that when you do have the microphone and this happens to me a lot, man, like I have the microphone in front of me a lot. And honestly, like, and, and I tell you guys all the time, like sometimes I get hyped and I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. Right. Um, and that's why a lot of times, like we don't do these live shows because like, you know, my chin sometimes gets a little spicy, you know what I'm saying? But when you have the time, like, like, I don't know what their, what their release schedule is or anything like that, but when you have the time to do the diligence, right. Like we ran these solves like yesterday and, and, after we saw, you know, all this stuff and it was like, okay, like it doesn't take that long to do the diligence, especially if you're going to be taking shots, you know, especially if you're you going know, to create a platform for yourself where you're claiming to be an authority, right? Like right. by, by, by putting yourself in a position to be a pundit over those playing stakes significantly higher than you, what you're saying is that at least from an analytical standpoint, you know, better than them, or you knew better, you know, better than they knew in that moment. And that very well may be true, but show your fucking receipts, right? Like show your goddamn receipts. They may not realize this, but it's just like, you know, they've curated a community that certainly has a very negative opinion of me. And that is incredibly harmful to our brand as a whole. It's harmful to our brand. It's harmful to uh, my, my personal brand, which, uh, you know, for whatever, man, I really don't give a shit. Again, like I don't think anybody's above scrutiny. And uh, I think that I should be scrutinized to the ends of the earth. Like, by all means, like, I feel like I have my receipts. I've, I've done well in this community, despite uh, some potential negative feedback. It's just like if every, uh, if, if every single, you know, person with an opinion garners an audience of 30,000 people and they just trash whoever it is that they feel like trashing for the sake of clicks... Now all they're doing is propping themselves up by tearing somebody else down. And we saw this with the Polk model, right? Like he literally built a business model out of this and upswing is massive because of it. Let's, let's not get anything twisted. Upswing made a big splash in the training community. And, 
I'm sure some of that is based off their material, but a lot of that is based off their marketing tactics and they fucking crushed. So when you position yourself to have a megaphone, as you kind of said, and you don't do your due diligence and you don't have any receipts, right? Like their hand and mobs aren't fucking jumping off the screen. I don't see them out grinding 10, 20 plus, you know, I don't, I don't see any, any charts up there saying that like, you know, these guys are absolute killers. They just kind of like speak the language. And there's a lot of that in this community. People who have heard a bunch of fucking buzzwords can string them together and can tell you what a blocker is. Uh, I saw a meme right. the other day that says the second that your your coach brings up blockers in a one-on-one -on -one session, you should fire them. And I think that's kind one -on -one? of fun. Yeah. Why? Why would you think that? Because it's kind of funny. It's like people who don't necessarily know what's going on when it comes to theory just immediately only lean on the heuristic of blocking power. So, oh, so they don't actually know how to dissect range versus range. They don't actually know how to uh, uh, apply uh, MDF frequencies and all the underlying math that goes into determining if a hand is a continue through a call or a raise, if a hand is a mix or pure, you know, where you can simplify strategies and all this other stuff. What they'll actually do is just constantly lean on suits and say, well, with this candidate, because we have the ace of clubs, I think that we should be aggressive, right? Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, of course that heuristic matters, but not nearly to the degree that we often weight it in the community at large, because basically people understand it easily, right? They understand that if you're blocking a nut flush draw, then your opponent can't have the nut flush or not, sorry, can't have the yeah. nut flush draw. Um, and that's an easy thing to lean into, but that doesn't really mean nearly as much as you would think it does uh, when looking at the composition of ranges as a whole and how they interact with one another and how the EV split and how possessing that one card affects your EV positively or negatively. The idea is that when you say, well, because of blocking, we should do something totally different. You're implying that because you hold this card, your EV shifts so drastically that you have to take a different action than you otherwise would if you didn't hold this card. This is the thing, Burke. I, I don't think you've played every hand like perfectly. We've had these discussions, you know, privately, like a lot of the hands that you played maybe, well, maybe two years ago, three years ago on TV, um, were easily like picked apart, right? Because they were so like scandalous of, of, of hands, right? I do think, however, the responsibility of the people watching these hands, right? And I think what, what, what gets murky here is that, hmm, how do I say this? Because there's been so much liquidity in the community lately, a lot of people are playing bigger, mm -hmm. right? And I don't know, I'm not saying this applies to uh, these guys or not, is that they think that if they got money, they could just do it, right? right? And, and that's a function of the liquidity in the community, as well as like, you know, he, them hearing that people get backed, right? Yeah. So when they when they have seen you playing hands that are like maybe not the ones that they would have played, as well as like hearing that there's a lot of liquidity in the community, they put those two things together and think that you two are peers. Um, and I, that's a little unfortunate because, I, I mean, I've done well, but I don't think I am the peer of of Doug Polk, and and I don't and I don't, and I'm I'm not his biggest fan, right? But I would say. When we do these matches, right, uh, I'm not sitting there like, oh, yeah, like this is what Doug Polk should do because like I have no fucking idea. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I have an idea based on my limited scope of of what I know about No Limit Hold'em, right? But I don't know heads up No Limit at that level, right? right? And I think there's a humbleness to that. And when you're actually like when people are actually intelligent, like like really intelligent, 
one of the biggest things that they can say is like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, like it's like, I don't know. And, and that has a humbleness as well as like increases your actual like ability to communicate the things that you do know. Right. Right. So when things are said like fours and fives are automatic bluffs, like, and that's easily proven wrong, like it doesn't look good on, on the person. Right. And, and also the main part that I really want to make sure here is that you're saying that, like, understand that the people listening to you are taking your word. They're not double checking your work. Right. There's no way. They're not doing it, right? Like, if we're running an academy and we say something, like, they're taking our word for it. And that, we take a lot of responsibility on that. And I'm not, I'm not saying, like, we're perfect or, or infallible or anything like that. I'm just saying you really need to try to not make these, like, statements black and white that are pretty easily proven wrong, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I recently did a series for Poker Go called 2020 Hindsight. And it was revisiting uh, six different old WSOP um, final tables, main event final tables. And when the idea was proposed to me, I was kind of like, uh, I don't really think it's fair to take modern day theory and pick apart these plays. But the more that like we discussed it back and forth, it was like, okay, let's just make it blatantly clear that they didn't have the same resources and information available to them then as we do now. And now let's look at it through the lens of analysis with their parameters kind of set in place. So I, I, I probably put in 15, 20 hours per show where I was running all the spots. I was double checking, uh, you know, a lot of them are push fold. So like, you know, that that's kind of easy. You could just double check it against push fold charts and, and you're not missing too much, but you still have to crunch some ICM numbers here and there. Um, and, and make sure that like, you know, you're not flaming somebody for something that in theory is perfectly fine. And that's kind of what we see here. Uh, any criticisms that they have are only born out of the fact that in 2010, strategy was very restricted and you could make hero folds and hero calls based on the fact that, you know, bluffs were often non-existent. And that's true, mm. but that's not a 40-minute podcast episode, right? If you just say, I think Berkey should have bet folded the river because DeHommel doesn't have any bluffs, like, okay, yeah, sure. But who the fuck is listening to that? So what now? What do you what do you what do you think? Like, do you think that there's just what happens, man? Nothing happens. What are you talking about? They're gonna make another fucking episode next week. They're gonna pull some poker out loud and shit and and like just tear it apart. And I, I don't care. My problem is uh I I just wanna see more good faith action in the community as a whole. I think that largely speaking, we can all benefit from being on the same team. I like these guys. They, they think that I dislike them. I don't dislike them. I dislike their approach. I dislike the fact that they don't do their due diligence. I dislike the fact that they speculate in almost all spots. You know, I've heard some, I, I, I hear like the way that they talk about like Bryn in some spots and Garrett in some spots and all this other stuff. And like their speculation is so fucking wild and it's unnecessary. You don't need to be speculative about this, right? Like you can simply just examine it through the lens of what equilibrium would look like and then expand or contrast based on the actual player profile that you're dealing with. If it's a Garrett or Bryn, add some hands. Add some hands and run it again. You know what I mean? Like maybe look at some of the low frequency lines and say like, I think Garrett is quite capable of falling into a 1% type of line. And that's fine. That is so fine. And more importantly, like it takes the scrutiny off of them because now we don't just have to trust their word as bond. That's not a thing in 21 any longer, 2021 any longer, right? When we started Solve for Why, we were basically 
we were basically creating a training site and a training academy built off of your and my combined experience, which at the time was probably about 23, 25 years, right? And it was geared towards live pros. So we were definitely speaking off the cuff of these are all the patterns that I've recognized in the last 15 years of play. These are all the patterns that Chin's recognized in the last seven or eight years of play. And we think that we've built a pretty bulletproof strategy that's applicable in the live realm. Mm -hmm. Five years later, that's evolved. That's not yeah. good enough anymore. And I would never hold ourselves to a 2016 standard, right? Like we have to move along with it. And the idea that this notion is out there that like I refute game theory or I don't subscribe to it or whatever because mechanically I don't necessarily look like a, a, a PO output or a, a sim ran on Snowy. That's right. simply because I still think that a lot of exploits exist live, especially at depth, right? It's a conscious decision. I know what the what the alternative looks like, right? I'm consciously deviating in spots where I think that it's worthwhile. And sometimes I have fucking egg on my face and I'm willing to take those licks. That's fine. But also it's very unfair to continually reach back three years, five years, eight years, 10 years and say like, how does this guy even consider himself competent? It's like, yeah, I think, I think that's the little bit of the, you know, we spoke about this yesterday. Like you play, you, like you honestly play like a maximally exploitative strategy. Like that's, that's, that's really what it is. Like, and with that comes the responsibility of being wrong. And when you're wrong, it looks bad. Yeah. Like it looks real bad, you know? So it's like, because it's so far from the equilibrium, sometimes. Not you want to know what right? the biggest irony but the, is? But the highlights. Wait, the wait, highlights are. wait, real quick. You want to know the biggest irony of all this is? Is that uh, you are seen as the theoretical one. And I'm seen as the, the old school Ooga Booga Caveman Live Pro. But the only difference between you and I is A, you have less TV time, and B, you're just wrong less. Like, you just, you are a little bit more calibrated and precise in the spots, and like, you have a little bit less YOLO go for it, which is great. It's why you're I'm rich. Just gonna, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna fold the Jack 7 suit into the three bed, bro. Yeah. I'm just gonna do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you have the right level of fight, and I have a little bit too much fight in me that I'm, I'm working on tempering. But... It's just so ironic how how thin that line is of public perception. It is. And to be but fair, like it, let's be honest, if we put you under a microscope and televise the last four years of your gameplay. Everyone, everyone, dude. I, it's anyone. Like I was watching, listen, no shots to Nick, Nick Petrangelo, but like I don't think he played that great in the last uh, high yeah. stakes poker. Like, but I'm not gonna be like, yo, Nick, are you even a pro? <laughs> right. Like, Obviously he's go. I'm, like, I'm gonna be like, bro, the guy's a beast. Like he he made some reads that were wrong, right? He overbet King three. Uh, for those of you that didn't see it, uh, there was a, there was a hand between him and Brandon Stevens. He overbet the river with a single pair, got raised, and then made a call with a pair that really didn't contain any blockers or, or anything like that. Um, bad read, bro. Like, yeah. what else? Right. Like, What's why it? not forgive that? Right. Like Nick Petrangelo has enough of a resume where it's like, yeah. bro, you had an off day. I forgive you. Right. Like, let's not put your feet to the fire here. Because the fact of the matter is people also don't understand. He showed up to play a 200, 400 game. At that point, it was 4-8, and they were doing rounds of 16 constantly with Rick sleep, sleep straddling like 2 to 4K at any given time. That warps you, man. Like whatever strategy you showed up with, that changes. Where one hand you have 300 big blinds, and two hands later you're sitting with 35 on the exact same stack with no reload in your book bag. That's the thing, man. I think every single person under a microscope doesn't, like for good or bad doesn't look as good as you think they might be 
Um, but that doesn't mean that they, they don't put in the work. Like, if we analyze every single hand of Garrett, who everyone thinks he's a super beast, and you put it under a solve, not going to happen. If you put every single hand of Kristoff Volkosang under a solve, not going to happen. Yeah. Like, well, especially the strategy best, evolves, you know? right? Yeah. You look at Kristoff 2016, it's going to look worse than Kristoff now. And that's going to be yeah, everybody. It's simple. And even even if you're like a fan favorite, like if you if you have Doug Polk, he, he himself says like, "Yo, I made a lot of mistakes today." Yeah, you know, I, it's the I, name of the game. I have no problems with the criticisms. I think that they should exist. I think it, I think it creates great content, right? Again, I think it's just a lack of receipts. I think Doug was very guilty of this too. When he was doing poker hands, he wasn't running solves. He wasn't double checking anything. He had the biggest platform and he had the biggest notoriety, so he was just able to say shit. The good thing about Doug was that he was very theoretically sound by nature, without having ran a lot of the spots. Uh, the bad thing about Doug is that he would shift the narrative in his favor, right? So, uh, you know, there were plenty of hands, some of which included me, where he made it seem like what he did was particularly good, uh, when in reality it was like either a low-frequency play or just non-existent. Um, and that's fine. That that the it, It's fine as long as you... At least he had receipts, right? Like he garnered the audience he garnered because of the resume that he had built and yeah i don't like the way he leveraged it i don't like the way he does business i didn't like the fact that like he had a short list of 10 people that he was willing to just light on fire every single fucking week but at least it was technically sound and there wasn't a whole lot of room to argue right we could have cherry or we could have cherry picked some spots and we could have nitpicked some others and been like you know you didn't do your due diligence here 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 and here but again 2017, you just get away with a lot more, right? There's a big leniency to it. You better have your fucking ducks in a row now, right? Like, I don't think you just get to, you know, Jonathan Little's kind of in a very unique spot where he built this machine uh, long before strategy was super popular. And he's still kind of like giving away really, really shallow tips and tricks that, you know, in 2021 shouldn't, well, yeah. shouldn't be a thing. Well, he's catering to a certain crowd, and I think that's, sure. that's okay. Like, sure. you know, I, I've always kind of – I'm okay with him because it's like – I don't think anyone um, works harder than if, Jonathan. If you're, if you're – you know, I don't want to disrespect him or anything like this, but I um, I do think that – like, let's say you're a tennis coach. doesn't mean that your students want to be tennis pros, and I think it's okay to just give, like, you know, yeah, decent lessons. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that that's what he does. I, I don't really know. So if Jonathan, you can correct me if you're if you're teaching like super high level stuff. Like feel free, send me send me the stuff and I'll look it over. You know, for free. You know, whatever. Um, but no, and I'm I'm not I'm not saying it disrespectfully. Like I'm just saying like I think that's what it is. I could be completely wrong. And I'm no, that's obviously the biggest market you know? to capture in training for sure. Yeah, but this this is what I'll say. You know, I think that you know poker is a zero sum game, but like content creation is not. Like, you don't necessarily need to uh, bring someone down for you to gain. I think I think you could definitely create content, and I think we try to do that where it's like we're really not bringing other people down, and I, well, and we try to work with other people to create a positive sum environment. And I think creating a positive sum environment in poker content, I think, is positive EV for everybody. The vloggers um, are the best just, model of that, yeah. right? There's no vlogger beef. They all boost each other up a ton and they get massive appearance fees to go casino to casino, card house to card house, right? Like you couldn't be any more right. Um, I think that like when it comes to content creation, there should be collaborative efforts taking place, not not teardowns, right? How much better is that podcast if you're just able to get the two people who play the hand every week? Right. No, it's just infinitely right. better. 
And, and that is that is that is kind of what happens with the running back with Remco, right? Like yeah. he says, like, okay, why don't you come on here? And I'm sure many times, like Dirt or, or whoever is on, it's going to be like, oh yeah, no, that's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like that. I wouldn't do that today, and I think that's fair. But go ahead, yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, uh, I think that's what we hope to accomplish with Poker Out Loud. Um, you know, we're trying to put together a vlogger session that will be on YouTube for free. We're going to distribute all of the raw footage to each vlogger that participates. So they'll be able to make whatever content they want off of it. And hell, like, as far as like the poker guys go, I would love for them to come and play. Like, whatever, man, you know, turn your podcast into real hands, like play them. Demonstrate that like I'm full of shit and you do have receipts and like you're you're beating these types of environments, right? Like just, just get in the ring, I guess, is, is the whole thing. So uh, I, I do think that like, and I'm not saying that is like a, a, a dick waving contest or, or a challenge even. I'm more so saying it is like, these are methodologies by which we can all put our best foot forward and work in a much more collaborative environment where, you know, we piggyback off of each other and we build up communities of people who have the best interest of, I guess, the, uh, the longevity of the game in mind rather than just, you know, constant, I mean, no matter what, whether I'm involved or not, every week is a takedown piece of somebody, right? It's never, did somebody play a hand well? It's always like... Nah, not all the time. I mean, I have listened to them before. It's like sometimes they end up with like, okay, you played the hand well. I'm not you saying know, that like, they don't. I'm yeah. saying that if you go through the titles, it's, did Berkey get out Berkeyed? Did, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so-and-so make a mistake on this river? Did uh, Martin Jacobson uh, overplay, o- overplay this spot? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's always this... Imp- imp- uh, implication of the pro not knowing what the armchair quarterback knows and i think that that just always will sit poorly uh in any sort of community that you're talking about all right tell the people what we're about to do with this poker out loud stuff i feel like there's been some some rumors of like you know maybe phil ivy's gonna play uh you know maybe you know maybe tony g's gonna splash around he's gonna Mm. put some headphones on Mm -hmm. but uh i've heard i've heard a couple things in the works um, yeah, the hopes are that we are going to be able to do this safely and soon. Um, the plans are to try to film first week of February after a five-day quarantine for everybody and a day of rapid test. Uh, we're going to try to do for our site uh, kind of like an old gen versus new. So we're going to get a bunch of those 21-year-olds that are out there just killing the high stakes. Uh, we're going to throw them in the arena versus you and me play a couple hundred big blinds deep and see what happens. So uh, that'll go up on the site. Um, We're going to shift pretty hard into developing content off of Poker Out Loud. So I think rather than making up hand examples or, um, you know, just always being on the macro level of talking theory, uh, I think what we can do is we can collect a bunch of spots from the Poker Out Loud sessions where we hear people's thoughts. So we have very accurate parameters as far as like what it is that they're choosing to do. Um, and we can kind of like divulge a, a, a more deep down or, or, or deep dive, I guess. More like, accurate. More, yeah, yeah, like a drilled down accuracy. version. Yeah. So yeah. we can examine like specific spots. Like say we want to look at like big blind versus button. Uh, we can pull four, five, six spots from Poker Out Loud with different characters and different subsets of ranges and stuff like that. We can examine it at a pretty deep level of this is what actually took place. And some of these things are trends that we'll see in the live environment. Uh, otherwise, like this is what it should look like if we're playing a closer to equilibrium strategy. Um, and then lastly, we're just trying to do some content for YouTube. So uh, we're going to do the vlogger season. 
have a have commitment from Big Poppy himself, Ingram. Uh, Marley's going to try to do it, assuming that you know she's well. I know she got COVID, RIP. Uh, but I think by then it's going to be like three weeks from now. She should be okay. Yeah, we're going to see like who's around, who's in town, who can quarantine, who can get the test, uh, things of that nature. And then we're just going to give them the footage after the fact to uh, to do with it as they see fit. Yeah, for those of you that don't know what Poker All Out is, if you've been living under a rock, uh, we are going to be putting on headphones similar to these. And we will be playing live, No Limit Hold'em. And when the action is on you, you will be saying, this is what I think. This is how I'm going about this situation. And this is why I'm betting. This is why I'm checking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then when the action is not on you, the headphones go back on. Not back on, but you can no longer hear what is happening. And the next person, it is on them. So I'm excited because I get to uh, finally battle some of my favorite guys for, you know, not 50 100 you know where it's like you know maybe we play a little bit of team 510 you know where it's like you know maybe you could lose a couple thousand but we're not going to lose twenty five thousand. don't know, let me crossbook please don't let me crossbook i know i'm going to get goaded into it by somebody just let's let's keep this friendly so we can all play less cutthroat and more uh strategically sound i just don't but, want to hear landon then, say more but i am excited about you know the vloggers going on because I think a lot of people will get exposed to poker out loud, both the concept and yeah. what, you know, and what that is, you know, and then when they really not, no offense to, you know, the, the, the vloggers or whatever, but they're not, I think you'll see a big, a bigger disparity yeah. in skill. There'll be a bigger variation right, right. in it's, style it's, it's not, and, and play. Right. It's, it's like, you know, like if you have a, uh, you know, the really high stakes guys, you know, behind, you know, if you really want to hear that, or if you really want to hear, you know, the vloggers, and I'm not, not disrespect, it's just two different schools of thought, you know. Uh, well, I also they're the, just the like vloggers. in the five five arena a lot, whereas like we're right, we're, we're right, kind right, of right. not, you know. Name the vloggers that you that you hope to get. Uh, the short list is uh, Marley Ingram, Nimi, Jamin. I think uh, so. I I hate to name it because I didn't reach out to the rest. Those are all the guys that I've reached out to. Um, but you're reaching out right now. You're reaching yeah, out right now. Who I, I mean, I've like loosely spoken to others about it over the like last year or so. Um, but yeah, I still have to hit up Vibes, see if he's available. Uh, I want to hit up DePaulo, Moreno, um, Rampage. I know I'm leaving somebody off. Uh, Trevor Savage, but I don't think there's like any chance he'll be able to travel for this. Like a uh, like Nimi or Brad Owen. I said Nimi. Uh, I hit up Owen here. He said no, but I guess we can try again. Um, wow, you heard that? You heard that chat? Like, no, it's fucked up, right? Uh, Y'all don't want to see the. Nimi. I mean, it was like a year ago. It was like a year ago, so okay. like maybe he'd be more open to it now. Uh, I don't know, but anyway, yeah. Uh, that's like a list of ten or eleven. We 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 can only have six. So uh, I'll see what kind of yeses we get. Who's available? Who's going to be in town that time frame and whatnot? It's all good. Uh, I am excited for that. I think. I, I do think that maybe it, it you should have uh, one of us playing the vlogger edition just because like okay if I'm listening to the vlogger edition and like I like I hear like a Matt Berkey talking poker like I'll be like oh shit like maybe Matt Berkey's like kind of really good and maybe I should sign up to his training site I don't know just my thought just my thought like I mean maybe it's a good idea well maybe there's no real idea. there's a lot, of, a lot of people are gonna see this you know yeah I assume so too but there isn't a whole lot of incentive for like yeah i don't think it's all that important because you have to remember that like what they do with the raw footage will very likely be highlight the own the the hands that they play yeah um the good hands they play yeah 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, so it's not like as if like there's a high probability that I'm going to play a hand against the other five or whatever. Um, yeah. Seems but yeah, I mean, obviously, sure. if like we only end up getting five, then one of us will hop in. All right. I'm excited about it. So that when should the people on YouTube be expecting some content and when should the people on the training site be expecting some content? Hopes are to have it turned around. Episode one will be mid-February on the training site. Um, and then for the YouTube channel, I think we're aiming for like March 1st. I've got a lot of text messages about um, to be determined. So uh, that'll also be early to mid-February. Uh, we don't exactly have a date confirmed yet. It's done. It's just a matter of uh, marketing and, and launch. Uh, so it's going to be launching both on our site and on PokerGo simultaneously. All right. It's a lot of content. Oh, there's a lot of content in the mix, Burke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did our dude... Did our due diligence. That's right. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed the show. We are back tomorrow for the Doug Polk versus Daniel Negreanu challenge presented by yours truly, Solve Why. Me on the left side of the screen, of course. And I'm excited about it, man. It, things things are things are brewing. But I hope you all enjoyed. I think that you know this wasn't necessarily a. I didn't expect this, man. It just landed on my desk, and I'm like, all right, let's go. You know, let, let, let's. Let's let's mix it up a little bit. Let's put the gloves on and, and see, you know, if a couple people need to catch a couple hooks, you know. I'm I'm always a turn the other cheek kind of guy, but my cheek's getting a little red, you know. Getting, You're like getting slapped you know, up like, a lot. Yeah, it's like Malcolm X and fucking Martin Luther King up in there. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> you like to turn the other cheek, and I don't. Like, First of all, Malcolm X did not like to turn the other cheek. Uh, That's what I'm not, wait, you oh, thought you were Malcolm? Oh no, I thought you were comparing. <laughs> to, I thought you were saying that they were the same. No, they're not the same, bro. I see, they're I see. not the same. I see. Uh, Either way, really strange reference, but sure. Doesn't I, matter, bro. I see where Malcolm, you're going. I, Malcolm would, Malcolm's ride or die, bro. Mm-hmm. Malcolm would fucking get the car and be like, yo, we out. If you rob a bank, we out. All right. All right. Fine. I'm out. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Tune in tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Doug Polk versus Daniel Negreanu. If you haven't liked or subscribed, please leave a comment tell us what you ate for breakfast i don't really give a fuck just leave something down there with that said good night and good luck 